Hello, and welcome to a special episode of the State of the Nova Nation, where we talk about the NBA Draft. Now, the NBA Draft was last Thursday. It's been a while. We wanted to make sure that we had a cool-down period for what happened, because there was there's a lot to unpack here. And just a couple other things came in the way, and we wanted to make sure that we got something out for this morning. Happy Tuesday. I'm Eugene Rappay. He's Chris Danziel. Chris, been a minute. How's the hiatus been treating you? And what did you think about the NBA draft? Oh, I'm, I'm doing great, Eugene. Thank you for asking. But yeah, the, the draft was okay. I thought there'd be a little bit more trades, at least leading up to the draft. You know, you usually see that with the NBA and NHL drafts. You, you see like some big, big time trades within the top five or top 10, just because, you know, there's some roster players available or whatnot. But I guess with a free agency looming, I guess most of the teams wanted to stay pat, this go around. But then usually when the draft rolls around, you'll see some teams move up, move back, and then you'll see some players swap. And there wasn't really that much of it, or, or there wasn't that big move that you usually see at least once a draft. But one of our guys ended up getting moved, and it was a uh, it was the talk of the town for sure. Even if you weren't a Villanova person, you were talking about that. I had coworkers asking me what was up talking about how they did Mikhail Bridges dirty, really just a giant head scratcher, especially with the whole buildup of the storyline, his mom working for them. We saw how excited she was, how excited he was. I guess it just shows you the dirty side of business. We're going to get to that, but that was definitely one of the hot topics coming out of this draft. Yeah, definitely. And and for me, I, I mean, obviously, I'm not like a big fan of any NBA team right now, but I do like to see trades. I like seeing who gets moved or who's going to make the big move. And a lot of the talk in the New York, New York area leading up to the draft was the Knicks were going to potentially move up from, I believe it was nine to four, take on the Chandler Parsons contract from the Grizzlies. And that might cause like some, some big movement there. And that was pretty much the only rumor that you heard going into the draft. And that's really why I watch it. I mean, obviously this year it was different because you had four Villanova guys who could potentially go in the first round. But other than that, I really just watched for trades. And in that regard, I was a little disappointed. But, I mean, overall, I guess I was kind of happy with uh, with how Villano- uh, the Villanova players ended up. Yeah, it was definitely a big, monumental night for Villanova and the program. Four guys going in a single draft. That's never been done before. And also to top that off, we had three guys go in the first round. Mikael Bridges, Dante DiVincenzo, and Omari Spellman. And that's also never happened before. Before we go into the Villanova stuff, what were your overall impressions of the draft? I know it was exciting for the Villanova guys, but for me, what I found interesting was, one, the trademark back-to-basket old-school style of big man is still a thing, as we saw with DeAndre Ayton and Mo Bamba both going in the top 10. And then aside from that, the second thing that really stuck out to me was a lot of the one-and-done guys, a lot of the hype All-Americans coming out of high school, McDonald's All-Americans, Jordan Brand Classic guys, a lot of them didn't really go in the first round. Most of them went in the second round or ended up being undrafted. I'm sure there are a few names that definitely stick out to your mind. I got a few names that I know for sure totally surprised me. What did you think about the draft? What did you think about how it went down? Yeah, so kind of building off your point about the uh, the one and dones. I mean, if you if you take obviously the big names, they got obviously all got drafted in the first round of the freshmen. If you the first out of the first ten picks, eight of them were college freshmen, with the two exceptions being Luka Doncic, who came from Spain, Real Madrid, and Mikael Bridges from Villanova, obviously. But if you look at the second round, a lot of these guys drafted in the second round were freshmen. Like you had Gary Trent Jr., you had a junior, and Kyrie Thomas who left early who. I mean, that was a little bit of, of a surprise. But then you have, like, some guys, like, I, I mean, I never really heard of them. Like, the Anthony Melton from USC, a sophomore. Tony Carr from Penn State. I know he kind of made a big name for himself. I believe it was in the NIT a couple years ago. And then, you, I mean, you had Alonzo Trier, who wasn't even drafted. So, like, you had a lot of guys who left early getting drafted in the second round. And probably a little bit disappointing to them because you would think that you're leaving early because you, you think you have, like, a first-round grade or – you know, a high-end second-round grade, and these guys just didn't weren't able to crack the top 30, and that, that's got to be a little disappointing. And a lot of these guys, if you look at the second round who were drafted, were big names coming out of high school. It shows that sometimes, you know, it's maybe might be the best to stay in school another year to maybe build upon that draft stock. Now, obviously, I don't know what each of these player situations are, but at the same time, 
you, you take a look at some of these and maybe like, oh, all right, maybe next time it'd be better to just stay in school for one more year and, and then roll the dice to see if you can get a crack into that first round. I shouldn't say that the one and dones were totally dead because good point there in that there were a number of them going in the first round outside of the internationals, a few upperclassmen, Mikhail Bridges. But not all those guys were hyped up McDonald's All-Americans to the same degree as Trayvon Duvall, who was the number one point guard coming out of his high school class, top 10 recruit, went to Duke. A lot of people going into the last year's college basketball season definitely saw him as a lottery pick. But as we saw, he's got a broken jump shot, a few other problems with his game. But on the other side of should they stay in school or should they go, I guess the other problem with being a one-and-done in Trayvon Duvall's case, and I kind of want to look at it through this lens, is sure he was talented, solid in college, maybe not good enough for the NBA, but did he really have a choice when you're playing for a big-time program like Duke or like Kentucky? Do you have the luxury to stay in school for another year when next year you look at what Duke's bringing in? That's another highly touted class, top 10 guys, five-star recruits up the wazoo you're probably not going to get the same amount of minutes. So he might not even had a choice to really stay or go because there was going to be a new guy coming in that was going to take a good share of his minutes otherwise. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And you're exactly right. Like with Kentucky, you usually see like one or two guys like each year, like from Kentucky going like the second round that you're like, oh, why the heck did they leave early? Like you would think that they would have stayed around and whatever uh, and just kind of build upon their draft stock. Like this year is Jared Vanderbilt. I'm like, all right, like big time recruit, but you could have probably stayed another year and probably could have eventually cracked the first round. But I know Kentucky brings in a top end guy every year, so they obviously get pushed out. And if you want to go wait a little back, a little farther back, you can look at Daniel Orton was a classic case. He was a top end recruit coming out of high school and played for Kentucky and really didn't do much there. But then he declared early and like I think it was after his freshman year, and he got drafted second round and basically just fluttered around the NBA for a few years and it's just like man you wish you could have stayed in school a little bit and obviously he built upon the stock but yeah you're right you probably saw there was probably someone coming in the year after pushing him out and that's that's the way it goes i think that's why you choose to commit to duke or kentucky because you know you're going to go regardless of what where you're going to be ranked or what your draft ability is going to be yeah, and even going a, a few more years back you look at isaiah briscoe who was actually someone I thought of during draft day, kind of like a, wow, I wonder whatever happened to this guy. Let me go Google him. Top 15 recruit coming out of high school, McDonald's All-American, Jordan Brand classic guy, goes to Kentucky, was all the rage in New Jersey. He's not even the league. Went in the second round. I think he's in Europe now. Yeah. It's just one of those, like, wow, how the mighty have fallen. It's an interesting case study with, like, like you said, with Duke and Kentucky, I think are probably the two biggest offenders of that. Yeah, I've been trying to find the list, but it got pushed down by the world of Twitter. Just the list, I think it was Woj or one of the main reporters, they just made this giant list of former McDonald's All-Americans who went either in the second round or went undrafted. And it was a pretty long list. And a lot of those names were like, oh, wow, this guy really? I, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe it. But it was, it was certainly an interesting draft. First time for me being there live. And let me tell you, Chris, it was pretty cool. But... If you think that so one of my one of my main problems with the draft was I always like watching it at home because you get all the analysis, you get to see it on TV, and you think that if you go to the draft and you're there in person, no one's gonna feed you analysis. You're gonna sit there and watch the clock expire, and then the only time you get hyped is for once they make a selection and then you go away. If you've never been to an NBA draft, I highly recommend it. Tickets are not that expensive. And when you're there, they actually have their own sideshow where they actually mic up two analysts and they brought in a guy like Donovan Mitchell to come in to provide some analysis. And you actually get to hear it. So you actually don't miss out on any takes, any hot takes, any trade news, trade rumors. You get to you get it all, except it's just localized in the arena. And this is all going on on a set right next to the actual one that's being recorded on TV. So no one misses out on anything. Oh, that's interesting. I, I had no idea they had like in, in arena analysis. And yeah, I was wondering what Donovan Mitchell was doing there. Cause they kept showing him on the broadcast on the ESPN broadcast. And I was like, Oh, that, I guess he, I, I guess that explains a lot now, but you always hear like something going on in the arena. You, I never knew what it was. You hear it at the NFL draft too. Like you hear people talking and you think it's just them announcing the picks or 
people are just announcing who's on the clock. But I guess the NFL does it the same too. I guess they have some form of analysis or some form of an analyst in there just to give you a breakdown because yeah, I can imagine if you're just sitting there waiting for the clock to expire and then every so often Adam Silver walks out just to announce a pick, I guess that would get pretty boring. But I guess in the world of age of Twitter now, I guess it's, it's not as bad because just keep hitting refresh and you just got to look for the Woj tweet, uh, who they're going to pick or waiting for Woj to tweet out some form of trade. It's kind of better when, with Twitter now, but I can see why they have like the analysts in there because it could certainly get boring. Woj was a hot commodity that night. I don't know if you were aware of this, but when you're at the draft, but Woj was tweeting out like the picks ahead of time, but ESPN had told them not to. So like, but they basically said, just don't tweet out, you know, the Phoenix Suns select DeAndre Ayton. So what he would do is he had like a bunch of synonyms for select and it was absolutely hilarious. Like he's like, one of them was like the Indiana Pacers have a laser on Aaron Holiday or something, whatever, like something like that. It was, it was great. There's a, that's been article on it, ranking the synonyms he was using it was pretty hilarious to watch throughout the night because it, it actually that was probably more entertaining than the draft itself because you were just wondering what the heck he was going to use next it, i think it kind of stopped around like the first round and by then i was pretty disinterested and falling asleep so <laughs> yeah he was dropping bombs left and right i wish i got to meet him in person i couldn't find him at all it was a little hectic over there but i did hear about that it was actually wildly talked about on the floor amongst reporters about how ESPN went up to him personally and told him to stop <laughs> stop tweeting because he was dropping the news before they could. I don't know how he does it. I don't know who his sources are. Yeah, the man's certainly talented. It's kind of weird that he's on ESPN now, to be honest. I kind of liked it when he was his own guy. Yeah. But hey, what he gets to, he's still he's still dropping bombs. Yeah, money talks too. He he built up his own empire at Yahoo and when ESPN comes calling with uh, loads of cash <laughs> why not <laughs> exactly exactly so draft night we get to see a lot of former college players come in be, basically become millionaires overnight mikhail bridges was the hot topic it's what everyone's been talking about why just why <laughs> that just seems to be the question everybody's asking why did this happen why did the sixers do that do what they did the worst part about it was so he gets selected 10th overall by the Philadelphia Sixers. I got it on my camera. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. The hometown kid, build up a whole story on that, all the connections. Race to the press conference. He answers about 45 minutes and 100 questions about what is it like to play for the Sixers? What is it like to play for your hometown team? Growing up, watching them. And then, just as the press conference is over, he finds out. Everyone finds out that he had been dealt to the Phoenix Suns and chaos ensues. I'm going to be honest. I, from the Sixers standpoint, I, I really don't, I don't get it. Like I understand the value of the trade. You're getting a basic, I believe it's an unprotected pick in 2021. And I know you had told me that that's, that might be the year where they get rid of the one and none rule. And you might be able to get kids from high school straight out of high school, which, okay, I get it. You're going to get a Zaire Smith. Uh, who's a fine prospect. We all saw him when he played with Texas Tech in the Elite Eight against Villanova. But, like, I under, and I guess it's part of the whole process that they have going on there in, in Philly. And I, I am a big believer in the process. I, if you know, you know me, I'm the guy in NBA 2K flipping assets left and right, trying to get top five picks, making sure I control the entire lottery. And basically, that's what the Sixers do, but in real life. But, I think the Sixers are past the point now where the process is over. You can win now. You were just in the second round of the NBA playoff. You played Boston, and obviously you weren't able to beat them without Kyrie and Hayward, but you have a solid team. You have Simmons, you have Embiid, you have Saric. You have a lot of good young players, and you have the potential to bring in LeBron. Mikael Bridges is a more defined prospect, I feel, than Zaire Smith, and I feel that Bridges would probably help you more next year than Zaire Smith will next year. and. So you you ship him away for a pick in 2021. The kids in high school still not I got who you're gonna pick in 2021. Like I don't still riding a bus to school. Like I don't understand. I really don't understand that. I, I I just felt that Bridges was more of a better win now prospect. But apparently they were saying on ESPN that they did it because it frees up just that much more cap room where they can now get another max contract in, or it just helps contribute to the max contract 
space that they can potentially provide a LeBron or Kwahi Leonard if they want to trade for him. Yeah, I just don't get it. You had the local prospect, you had a great story there, and you have a great prospect that can help you win next year. And instead you trade it for a Sire Smith, who's okay, I guess, and a Magic Beans and three years away. Yeah, and Suns fans didn't sound too happy about that either, just because the, some of them feel like they paid way too high of a price just to get Bridges. I mean, you essentially swapped your first round picks for this year, but then you also gave them the 2021 pick, which may or may not be the first year in which the one and done rule is abolished and high school kids can go directly to the draft. I don't know if LeBron James Jr. is going to be a high school senior by then. I don't know if that had to do with it but how much more cap room could that possibly free up yeah i don't have the numbers in front of me it's, I don't not, know. it's not a lot but apparently they're saying it makes that just that much more of a difference so i i don't i don't know and like i i get it like a va- value wise i get the trade like you're getting an unprotected pick like the suns can still be bad in 2021 but the sixers might be good next year they can win a conference title next year like they can really do some damage with another imp- a year improved mb and a year improved simmons and bridges can help contribute to that i don't think Sire smith's gonna really help them all that much and fine prospect sure but i i, I think bridges f- probably fits better into that system no yeah i would say that bridges definitely fits better in philly than he would at phoenix i I don't know about the Devin Booker show. I don't think it's as appealing or anywhere near as cool as the process that's going on in Philadelphia. But as we saw, the process bears no one. Now, after that trade, there were a lot of rumors coming out as to apparently the Suns wanted Dante DiVincenzo, but then Philadelphia came calling or how Phoenix contacted Philly first. Chris, Brett Brown says Phoenix hit them up first while Phoenix says Philadelphia was the one who initiated, who do you believe? Who do you believe did this wrong doing this sacrilegious move by trading away the hometown kid literally 25 minutes after acquiring him, all for basically to further your process some more? I believe the Sixers did because they just are enslaved by the process. When the process should be over, you can win next year. I don't understand why you're still doing process moves like that. Like that's like a trade I get like three, four years ago. Now, now I don't. Now I don't get it. I really, I really don't. So I, I, I'd say the Sixers uh, had a lot to do with it. But apparently, apparently, I don't know who it was. I think it was Shams. It was either Shams or Woj. Probably it was probably Shams though. That they uh, he like tweeted out. Something along the lines of like Dante DiVincenzo was going to be selected by the Suns. But then because of that, I think Philly called because they wanted Zaire Smith. So they told Phoenix to select Zaire Smith and then they would do the trade. So I think that's what ended up happening. So, and then obviously Dante ended up in Milwaukee. So I, I think that's, I, that's why I would have to go with Philly uh, initiating that whole thing. Yeah. With Dante, I think the Hawks were also interested in him. And then that kind of leaked out a little bit. I guess in a way, Dante was saved from going to the Hawks and the Phoenix Suns and going to the Bucks, which is probably the best case scenario in terms of a contender situation out of all four of the Wildcats that got drafted. But for Mikael Bridges, yeah, I totally think that Philadelphia started this. I do not trust Brett Brown and the Philadelphia Sixers PR. It's not exactly the best right now. I think Bridges, going into the draft, I always talked about and I mentioned how if the Knicks don't take him, I would be more than shocked if Philadelphia passes on him. And so when the Knicks were up and the whole arena was chanting for Michael Porter Jr. for whatever God knows reason, the band hasn't been healthy since the sophomore year of high school. And then Kevin Knox comes up. He gets drafted by the Knicks at ninth. The whole arena boos him. Then it's the Sixers at 10. Everyone in the arena was ready for Mikael Bridges. Mikael Bridges gets called up. Everything's going according to plan. And then the sick twist. And the whole story was when he got traded. I still don't get it to this day. I mean, I get it in terms of, yeah, like you said, you get an extra pick, business move. But I just feel like the price just wasn't worth it. Like you said, you're a contender right now. LeBron's Cleveland is going to be most likely gone out of the way. Maybe he goes west where you won't have to see him until the finals. Or maybe he joins your team. Even then, you're a contender. I don't, I don't know how much money. Maybe you saved like $500,000 in cap space. But I'm sure the whole world would have loved to see Mikael Bridges in a Sixers uniform. I would love to know what Philadelphia fans think. The Philadelphia, specifically Villanova fans think, are you going to protest the Sixers? Are you going to boycott them? How does this, what are you going to do? Are you going to boo every time Zaire Smith comes onto the court? 
I would love to know how Villanova fans that are also Sixer fans feel about this. Please chime in in Twitter on Twitter or in the comments section. I would love to know what you guys think about that. Yeah, I mean, we're both New York-based people, and obviously we don't really care about any NBA team out there. So, yeah, I guess I, we'd like to know from the actual Philly, Philly fans and who are also Villanova fans what they feel. kind of want to bring up Bridges because I, I know a lot of the talk we've been doing was about the trade, but now that he's on the Suns, I mean, it's not exactly the the worst situation. Like they, the Suns are building something a little nice there. Like I, I like what they did this draft. I mean, you had Aiton obviously first overall. You had Josh Jackson last year. Dragon Bender, a nice prospect. Marquise Chris, also a nice prospect. I mean, Devin Booker's a great player, obviously. And then you have T.J. Warren, who had a nice year, but I, he's T.J. Warren's. I, I don't know how high on them they are on him. They are, but. I mean, he's probably the one blocking Bridges right now, but I would guess like Bridges probably will have more playing time in Phoenix than he would have in Philly, especially if LeBron were to join in Philadelphia or if they were to get some big time free agent. So I guess I, I like what the Suns are doing. They got a nice young core that can really build around Booker. Obviously, they can all be busts and they can all come falling down, but look, Bridges will have ample playing time and on a young team in the market that really isn't all that basketball crazy and won't exactly kill you for being bad initially. I think he's in an, he's in a pretty good situation, all things said. That is a very good point. Phoenix isn't exactly win now. They do have a lot of young pieces. And yeah, you know, I guess it depends. You know, That would be looking at it glass half full. He does get a lot of playing time. He's in a low-pressure environment where the expectations aren't exactly high right now. So he'll have a lot of burn in this Phoenix Suns experiment. At the same time, though, Bridges, the process, hometown team, right up the block. That would have been great, but I guess that's not what we're going to have. Still getting adjusted to him wearing purple, but you know, at the end of the day, congrats to him becoming the first Wildcat to be drafted in the top 10 since Randy Foy did so in 2006. And who would have thought this kid coming in from right down the road in Malvern, PA, Great Valley High School, goes to Villanova, completely undersized, very skinny, red shirts to bulk up, and right off the bat became a solid contributor on the defensive end. But then we saw his evolution over the last few years and this past season just really put an exclamation point on his Villanova career with his second national championship in three years. And he was a big-time contributor, a big-time part of it. At the end of the day, congrats to him. He is now a millionaire. He is now living his dream. Unfortunately, it is not in Philadelphia, but hey, Phoenix, I'm sure he's going to get a lot of burn and a lot of playing time alongside Devin Booker. So as we look past Bridges, we go right down the line. Number 17, Dante DiVincenzo, the big ragu, gets selected by the Milwaukee Bucks. Your thoughts on DiVincenzo to the Bucks? I absolutely love it for Milwaukee. I love it. I just think he's going to fit in great there. I think you have a great player to play along with uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do in free agency with Milwaukee, and I, I don't know exactly what Chris Middleton is up to or Tony Snell is up to, but you have uh, Malcolm Brogdon, obviously Rookie of the Year, Eric Bledsoe at point. Right now, ESPN classifies Dante as a point guard, as the backup point guard, the Bledsoe, but I, I highly doubt he plays point guard. I would say he's probably two, three, probably more at the two. So I, I think he can probably beat out Tony Snell. If he doesn't, I'd, I'd be a little concerned. But look, you got Jabari Parker there as well. Milwaukee's got a nice young core and they have the superstar. So they're basically one step ahead of the Suns and they gave Boston a run for their money in, in the playoffs. And I'm not going to say that Dante is going to put them over the top, but they're going to love them out there in Milwaukee. They, they, they love the Bucks out there. They're big, their fans are great. I like the Bucks. I like Giannis a lot. I probably one of my favorite players in the NBA, if not my favorite, but he's, I think he'll fit in perfectly there. It's going to bring the intensity as we all saw at Villanova. He's going to jump out of the gym and they're going to love that. It's, he's going to be a fun player to watch out there. And I, I think the Bucks are a perfect situation for him and where he hope he might get some starting time. He might not, but he could come right off the bench and do what he does. And he did that at Villanova for a year or two. So I like it. I don't like it. I love it. I'm with you on that. I, think the Bucks they love to surround Giannis Tentacumpo with athlete, very athletic combo guards. I mean, you look at Brogdon, guys that can play either guard spot. And what DiVincenzo brings to the table, he brings a high level of athleticism that I think is completely underestimated by anyone who has not seen him truly for more than four games or six games. This guy, Hop, with the best of them, as we saw at the NBA Combine, 
if the national championship game performance was not enough to sell you, that the way that he performed in all the drills on the combine, I think solidified his spot in the first round. And just him playing alongside the Greek freak, he's going to be great. And uh, he's actually going to be a very good fit in that system. Really does a little bit of everything. Like you said, he might not start right away, but he's going to be in a position that he is very comfortable in coming off the bench. You know, it's just like how some guys are just meant to be six men or quote unquote six starters. Look at Jamal Crawford. I think overall his career numbers are better when he comes off the bench than when he actually starts. DiVincenzo, although minutes might not come to him right away, I don't think it'll be a problem for him to adjust to. And this is just a great fit for the Bucks. I don't know if you saw, but your boy. Skip Bayless said that he was the steal of the draft. Do you agree with Skip Bayless for this one time out of a million? No. And Mike Francesa also said he was the steal of the draft. So Dante's career is over before we even knew it to begin because Francesa <laughs> has absolutely mushed every single player he's declared as their steal of the draft. Uh, Justice Winslow and uh, was, was one. And he also said that Greg Oden will blow everyone out of the water and well, he'll prove that Portland was right to take him over Durant. So as obviously neither of those picks have worked out. So Dante, best of luck out there. You already got some uh, bad mojo over your head. Look, I'm not going to say he's the steal, but yeah, I, it's a great pick for Milwaukee. Also some familiarity too, because obviously the Bucks and Marquette share an arena and the Bradley Center, uh, that's where the Bucks play. Obviously that's I believe the Bucks are getting a new arena next year, so he won't exactly play in the Bradley Center, but at least he's familiar with the area to some extent, you know, going out to Marquette like once once a year. So there is some Biggie's familiarity. Yeah, and there's also some familiarity with going against Malcolm Brogdon from that UVA Nova home and home series that we had a couple years ago. The GMs absolutely love DiVincenzo. They couldn't stop raving about him and I'm sure you saw them talk about that when they saw his name was still on the board, it was one of those things like definitely push the button, all systems go. And they got their guy at 17th, Dante DiVincenzo. Who would have thought? Big time game in the national championship. Big NBA combine performance. Now he's a first round draft pick. Going to make millions of dollars. Milwaukee Bucks, not a bad situation to be in. I think it'll be a perfect marriage for both sides. I really do. I'd, I'd have to agree with that. So at this point in the night, I was thinking, wow, are we going to have some time away before we get to the second round? How is this going to unfold? We have two guys left on the board. I don't know how you felt, but I thought Jalen Brunson was going to be next. So I started preparing this draft day video on Jalen Brunson. And then all of a sudden, before I know it, Adam Silver comes on. Thanks, everyone, for coming. First round, of this is the final pick of the first round. The Atlanta Hawks select Omari Spellman. And I was like, wow, <laughs> Omari sneaking in there first round at the very end. I was very disappointed because I thought that just looking at some of the teams that were coming up, we saw that Indiana went with Aaron Holiday at 23rd. And I was sitting there thinking, like, really? Over, over yeah. Brunson? Yeah. <laughs> and then the Sixers were back up, and everyone's heart was still broken. And then they picked Landry Shamit, who I like Landry Shamit. I liked him at Wichita State. It was fun to watch in the NCAA tournament. But really, over, over, over Brunson? Over Brunson? Yeah, yeah. No, I never heard of him. <laughs> Even with the NCAA tournament, I'm like, who was this guy? <laughs> He's a sophomore, too. Like, And then a couple picks later, you had the Golden State Warriors, which we've talked about would be such a great fit. It would just be so nice. He's basically basically staying in Villanova system, except with upgraded players at every position. And then they ultimately went with Jacob Evans from Cincinnati. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I guess. And at that point, I figured, okay, it's probably going to be a while. And then with the 30th pick, the Hawks selected Omari Spellman. And I just kind of hopped out of my seat a little bit because, one, first time Villanova had achieved three first-round draft picks. And, two, Omari Spellman come a long way from the NCAA basically tying him down, holding him hostage, to free Omari. Just the year that it's been for him, the way that he's progressed from November through April was a fun journey to watch. He really had a great NCAA tournament. 30th to the Hawks. Chris, what did you think about that? Yeah, those uh, the first first we get into Amari, it, those late round picks, late first round picks were a little uh, head scratching. I mean, look, I understand the NBA drafts based on potential and all, but like, why wouldn't you want the known commodity in Brunson like 
why wouldn't the Celtics or the Sixers or the Lakers like to pick him Wagner at 25? Oh, I felt like that was such a reach, but we'll, we'll talk about that when we talk about Brunson. But yeah, Amari at the end of the first round, this marks the second year in a row. Villanova has closed out the first round, uh, Josh Hart last year with the Lakers. And now you had Spellman with the Hawks for the Hawks. Look, I, they probably have the least valuable roster in the NBA. If you had asked me before the draft, I would have said either the Hawks or the Mavericks and Brunson ends up with the Mavericks, uh, ironically enough. Um, I think Omari is going to be a, a good player in the NBA, but that that's such a bad situation with the Hawks. They're a mess. Like They got like Schroeder signed for years on end that like he's not even that good. They don't really have that, all that promising prospects. Like John Collins had like a pretty decent rookie year, I'd say. But they list him as a power forward, and I guess that's where Omari would be playing. And then they have also have Mike Muscala as a power forward, and he just opted in Sunday to his uh, final year of his deal, $5 million option. So it looks like Spellman's blocked as of right now. I mean, they can obviously move it around uh, position-wise and work his minutes in, obviously. But you, you got to start somewhere. And the Hawks, they made they made the trade at the beginning of the first round where they got Trey Young. Wasn't a big fan of that trade. I thought they probably should have just stuck with Doncic. But then there was rumors that Doncic didn't want to play in Atlanta. But yeah, Atlanta's... And they also had a Kevin Porter, however you say his last name. He was also picked. So three first-round picks for the Hawks. But look, Spellman, I believe in him. I think he's going to do great. I think he's going to do fine. But it's going to be tough in that Atlanta the drag that's just going on down there. It's just, it's not, it's not all that good. Yeah. The Hawks haven't exactly been the same since they had their team ball concept a few years back with Kyle Korver, Jeff T, Damari Carroll, and they were running the Eastern conference. Then they went all in on DS 17. And while Dennis Schroeder was their most productive player, statistically, if you look in the stats, but I don't, he just doesn't really cut it for me. It's a very interesting situation. I think a lot of pieces are definitely going to move around with the Hawks over the next few years. Spellman, as we've talked about, he's not exactly there yet. But when you have a young team, I don't know how congested this front court is going to be. Because as you mentioned, Muscala just opted back in. They do have John Collins, who was pretty decent his rookie year. I didn't think he was that bad. Dwayne Dedman just opted in also. They just re-upped him. I think this will be an interesting situation just because it's another it's another team that is young, not exactly the highest of expectations. Spellman does have time to grow. I don't know if it's going to be at the G League or in the NBA. Either way, this is what he wanted. He wanted to continue his development in the pros rather than finishing it off in college, which you can't really blame him for, especially when you're getting a check. And now at 30th, he's getting guaranteed money. So now he's really getting paid. It's going to be interesting to see how far Spellman goes. I think maybe not so much right away, but maybe in a couple of years, if all goes well with him, they develop him well, or at least develop him better than they did DeAndre Bembry. Things are going to probably look up good. <laughs> yeah, I forgot he was on that roster. I'm looking at it now. I'm like, oh, wow, that's a familiar name. Yeah, it, it seems like the Hawks are like a year or two away from kind of like just getting all the dead weight out of, of that team and really replacing it with the young fresh faces that like they just drafted like a Spellman, Poyter and, and Trey Young. So, yeah, I mean, I guess if you give this franchise a year or two to get those bad contracts, well, not, they don't really, not bad contracts, but like some of those pieces that really don't mix well off the books and, you know, kind of work these guys in. And I think they'll be okay. It would be interesting where Spellman fits in, where he, he's going to develop, if he's going to develop on the bench or if he's going to develop on the G, in the G League, or maybe they'll flip him or whatever it may be. I understand the pick because I think Spellman was a first round talent. We saw leading up to the to draft day that he was dropping in, in the, some of the mock drafts out there. And that, that was a little weird, but it was nice to see him drafted in the first round. Uh, hopefully he gets the opportunity out in Atlanta to actually play. And he's not blocked by some of these guys who really aren't all that good. I'd like to see the Hawks actually give cadence to a first round pick that they actually use a valuable asset on. So yeah, I hope for the best for him. And, uh, Hopefully Atlanta's able to write that ship because it is, like you said, it has not been the same since Horford and has left town and all those guys and part of that team ball concept. Yeah, they went all in on Dennis Schroeder. Dennis Schroeder went all in on in Atlanta by building his club, DS17. And I don't know about you, but that is definitely not a second-year player move or a third-year a young player move. But that says – No. I think, yeah, I think he did in his second year with the yeah. NBA. Yeah, he did. He did. Very, very questionable. Very questionable. Yeah. And he was like all right when like 
Atlanta had that one seed a couple of years ago. Like I, he was like a good player, but then he got the extension, and that was that was the end of it. All you got to do is you got to hope for Omar Spellman getting into a good situation, whether it's playing time, development wise, cash wise. But right now he's set for now, and he really, you know, just looking at Villanova where it's been having this reputation of not being a quote unquote pro factory. We now saw three guys go in the first round for the first time in program history. Looking at the guys, just looking ahead at the guys that Jay Wright's bringing in next year, and then you look at the people who are on the radar for the next couple of years, this is, this is probably a turning point. This is honestly a turning point in the program, not only just because you're bringing in trophies and championships and medals and awards with two national titles. You're running the Big East every year, but now we – Everyone's starting to take notice of this hard work and really respect Villanova. I think that this will be the start of a change in that viewpoint where people think Villanova is not a pro factory. I think that's going to start to change over the next few years, especially if these four guys that got drafted last Thursday do something or amount to anything. It's going to look good. It's going to look real good. Obviously, to get exposure, you win the national championships, you win, you get to the final fours, and that obviously will have a nice little uptick in your recruiting class. And then, like you said, like if, if you start having some guys who actually come in, develop, and get are now getting drafted at, at like top 10, top 20, and now top 30, that just has as much impact, I, I feel, as some, as to performance, team performance. So because of that, these guys see like, oh, you know, I could come in and I can develop for a couple of years and like I'll be a top 15 pick like Mikael Bridges or Dante DiVincenzo or whatever it may be. It'll certainly be something to watch for the next few years, especially to see where this program goes. But going back on track, a few picks after Mari Spellman, Jalen Brunson went off the board at 33rd going to the Dallas Mavericks. I don't know about you, but I honestly thought that he was going to go at the end of the first round. But, I mean, no harm, no foul there. 33 is not exactly that bad. He didn't have to wait very long. I think Dallas is going to like him a lot. I think Rick Carlisle, being a great coach as he is, I think he's going to enjoy having Brunson's presence around, especially just how mature he is for his age. That's definitely going to stick out to that great coach over there in Dallas. I don't know if you saw, but Brunson picked number 13, taking one from his childhood idol, Steve Nash. As much as we've talked about Brunson being a robot, or when you rip his face off right behind their wires, if there's one thing that makes him really happy, it's Steve Nash. And to just see him live out his dream of making it to the NBA, playing for the Dallas Mavericks, playing alongside Dirk, future Hall of Famer. He's going to be behind Dennis Smith Jr., who was an exciting rookie. I think Brunson, you know, it's good to see especially how far he's come, going on to the NBA, living that dream, repping his childhood idol with 13, and this is the start of his career. Yeah, continuing the uh, Brunson family line uh, lines in the NBA. So obviously that's a storyline that was kind of uh, pumped up during the draft. I like the situation for Brunson as well. Dallas is a little farther along in the rebuild than Atlanta. They still got a lot of bloated contracts on, on the books, like Harrison Barnes, Wesley Matthews. For another year, I know Barnes was like for two, two more years. Dirk, I mean, obviously it, it's Dirk, but it's not Dirk. It's just the corpse of Dirk Nowitzki. And uh, look, I understand why he's playing it out, but it's uh, he's he's cooked. And it's a, I, and I think it'll benefit Brunson to you know play with him and, and maybe you learn some stuff from him. I don't know what would happen in that locker room, but obviously if you want to play with a living legend, it doesn't hurt. And now obviously you had Doncic with that trade with Atlanta. I like Doncic a lot. Like I'm not going to act like I watched Real ba- Madrid basketball and I know what Luka Doncic is all about, but I'd rather have Doncic than Trey Young. Trey Young can obviously right now, because I said that Trey Young will now be a better prospect and become a better player. But I, I think I like Don- I like Doncic's pick. I like the Brunson pick, obviously. I think Dallas is just another year or two removed from, you know, being a major contender again because they got to get these contracts off the books and i think they'll get some picks along the way they're probably going to be bad next year so they'll have a high pick next year as well so look i think they can potentially build some stuff here but brunson he'll be behind dennis Smith jr have donchers maybe playing at the two behind wesley matthews or maybe he'll take that starting role away from him so look I like it for Brunson. He gets to play for the team <laughs> that had his childhood idol on for majority a good por- portion of his career so, and he gets to play with a living legend, Dirk. Not exactly the worst situation, but the team's probably going to be bad for a couple more years. So, it is what it is. Yeah, I think Brunson 
is definitely going to have a long serviceable career. I think he's going to last for at least a decade. I really do. It's going to be fun seeing these four guys play in the NBA. I don't think Villanova, well, no, actually, I shouldn't say I don't think. Villanova hasn't had this many pros in in the NBA in a while. And just seeing this kind of spurt, I think it's going to be real fun to see them next year really follow what these four guys have been doing alongside with what a Josh Hart is doing. You know, I think there's going to be a nice foundation here. I think it's very cool to see that all four guys went relatively early. We didn't have to wait or stay up too long to see who gets called. You know, it's not like they snuck in at the very end at like 58th or 47th. It was pretty early on. I was surprised that Brunson went after a couple of point guards like Elia Kobo from France, who isn't exactly proven yet i don't in my opinion and javon carter how did he go after javon carter yeah i mean i guess if you look at javon <laughs> carter though he went to the grizzlies and we all know the grizzlies of defense Grind. Oh, that's true Man, i didn't even think of that that's true yeah i guess they would love that uh toughness mentality that apparently brunson doesn't have which is a complete joke but yeah like you were saying before like some of those late first round picks like the reach with Mo Wagner by the Lakers, like Landry Shamit with the Sixers, Golden State going with Jacob freaking Evans, and the Nets going with some rando from Bosnia. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't get it. I'd rather have the known commodity, but I understand the NBA drafts really all about potential than it is about, you know, known commodity uh, type players. So, yeah, I, I get it. But, hey, hey, look, like you said, 33rd overall, not, nothing to scoff about it just on the outside of the first round and you're going to a team that's probably going to use you a lot. So not, not exactly the worst. No, not at all. Not at all. Before we sign off, we have a few questions from the fans, the listeners out there who are probably all wondering the same things that we were wondering as we watched draft night. First up Nova NorCal four Nova players in the top 33 picks. Who would have thunk it? Well, I'll be honest with you. I think going into this season, what did we say? There were going to be two guys going, and it was going to be Mikael Bridges and then maybe Jalen Brunson going in the first round. But just the way that everything has unfolded this year, you saw the rise of Mari Spellman, and then you just really saw Dante DiVincenzo command and just take over that national championship game, dominate in the combine. It really makes you think. These are all welcome problems to have. Four guys, that's great for the program. Great for the four individuals who had their lives changed on Thursday night. And it's going to be great for us to watch in the NBA. We're definitely going to need league pass. I don't know if we can uh, put, that, put that in the budget. We're going to have to ask Seattle Mike J about that. But it's going to be fun watching all four of these guys. I don't know which jersey I'm going to get. I'm kind of upset that all these four teams are kind of random. Random in the sense that they're all kind of far away from the Northeast, I guess. I don't know if Atlanta is closer than Milwaukee. It probably is. So I don't know yet. I don't know which jersey I'll, I'll be rocking. But it's, it's definitely cool to see how far these guys have gone, basically grown up in front of our eyes. And now they're all playing in the NBA, cashing checks, and doing what they love to do. Yeah, it's absolutely wonderful to see. It's, it's an testament to how far this program has come from you know those uh, really bad years of – they're just the one bad year of the 2011 2012 season. Now you see these guys flourishing, and basically, like we were talking about throughout the entire episode, how Bridges was a low end recruit, and now he's a top 10 pick. Dante DiVincenzo was three, four stars under recruited, and he's now a top 15, 20 pick. You know, it's it's great to see that type of stuff happen, and just this you get these guys and you mold them into what you want them to become. You help, they help you win championships and now they become, and hopefully they can become NBA superstars. So yeah, that's cool. But for me, I would probably get a Bridges or Dante Jersey just because I think the Suns and Bucks jerseys are pretty cool looking. I don't like the Hawks jerseys and Mavericks jerseys are pretty planned. So I really like the Suns though. Probably get a Bridges one. He looked pretty good when he was uh, introduced at his press conference down in Phoenix. Looked pretty good holding it up. The next question from our guy, Jerry Quinn, he's got a few here. First one, why would the Sixers risk aggravating the Philly fan base by sending Mikael Bridges to the Suns? I'm going to be honest here. I, I think the, the Sixers were risking aggravating basically the entire Big East Conference 
because they just had no love for the Big East. They got Mikael Bridges, traded him away, and then they got Kyrie Thomas from Creighton, early second round, only to trade him away. And then they got Giannis's younger brother, and then they traded him away too. Even though I think he played for Dayton. I didn't even realize that he was here. I thought he was like an international prospect, like he was mm-hmm. playing overseas somewhere, but he was actually playing in Dayton. Yeah, I, I didn't know Giannis had another brother. <laughs> I, I knew he had the, the other one. that I, I forget what his name is. Yeah, uh, Thanasis. Thanasis. I knew it started with a T. I didn't want to say Giannis, but yeah, I didn't realize he had a uh, another brother there so yeah that's uh interesting but yeah we, we were discussing that off air sixers just seem to draft biggies guys and just chip them away for whatever reason because they're the sixers and they got to accumulate all the 2022 second round draft picks because that's that's part of the process or something that i don't really understand it 20 2026 first round draft picks verbal commits from eighth graders the whole thing the whole thing yeah yeah it's just basically glorified uh, college basketball recruitment at that point his other question is, will Omar Spellman start for the Atlanta Hawks? I don't know about right away because I think John Collins was pretty solid as a rookie. So he would have to dethrone him or watch him get traded if that happens. But I think right away, I think Spellman will be a developing project. Which isn't bad, but I just don't see him cracking the starting five right away. Yeah, I agree. As we were saying before, Collins, obviously, had a great, I, I thought he had a pretty good year for it. For Atlanta, unless they move him to a, the three, but even if they do that, they'll probably put Mascala at the four. Like so, he's he, Spellman's behind a little bit as of right now. I mean, training camp and free agency can tr- change all that in an instant. But it, as of right now, as we sit here today, no, probably not. And his last question is: Why was Jalen Brunson picked thirty third and not in the first round? He is so much better than that. Yeah, I agree. He is much better than that, but. Like I said, these GMs in the NBA, they like to draft based on potential and they'd rather get the sophomore guard than the, you know, the well-accomplished junior who's graduated early. I, I don't get it. I really don't understand it, but that's, that's just the way it goes. It's just guys who stay longer in college just aren't as valued as much as you'd like to think they are. It's just the way it is. I don't, I don't really get it. Yeah. I think we all saw this past season that. He was definitely better than a lot of the point guards that were taken before him. Like I will, I will ride him over Landry Shamit in a street ball game, first to twenty-one, and it's nineteen nineteen. I would totally take Jalen Brunson over him. I think Jay Wright ex- probably explained it the best uh, after the draft. A few reporters caught him outside trying to leave or didn't go see Dante, but someone asked him, you know, what do you think people meant or analysts meant when they said that Jalen was being called a safe pick? And he said, quote, I was concerned when they were saying a safe pick because I thought it meant they weren't going to take him in the first round, and that proved to be right. I think they use the first round for guys they think have potential, but everyone agrees that Jalen will be an outstanding NBA player and have a long career. It's just a matter of who wanted to go with that solid bet. And I think that, you know, when you do look at the second round, it it is actually the guys who are these quote-unquote safe picks. They're proven contributors they're people who have racked up stats racked up nice numbers but they might not have the high ceiling as some of the other guys in the first round so they get pushed aside to the second round he is better than the point guard taken before him i think we're gonna see that but unfortunately this is all just a product of the environment and that environment is valuing ceilings and potential over what's already been done so next question is from joe Wu rachowski on Twitter at DJ Wu. Does Cole Swatter have an immediate impact? I've heard that he is the better version of Bridges at this stage. Also, does Slater, Cosby Roundtree, or Samuel step into the four spot and start? Turns for the last question, I, I can honestly see Cosby Roundtree starting. I don't know too much about Slater other than what I've seen from highlights and obvious, the obvious articles and buzz around him and scouting reports. But I think Cosby Roundtree probably starts. We also don't know what Painter is going to do. Retro year, we've seen it's been magical for a few other guys. Maybe he might be the next guy to experience the pixie dust and become one of the best contributors out there. Maybe just blow up, have a breakout year. But right now, if it's not Painter, and you you had to give me those three options that you listed, Joe, I'm going to go with Cosby Roundtree just because he was pretty raw last season, but we saw that he did some good things in his limited time. I liked what I saw from him. So I'm going to go with him 
over Slater and Samuels just because I, I don't know if Samuels is big enough to start at the four. I know Slater is kind of big, but I think I would go with Cosby Roundtree in that situation. And if we're talking about Cole Swider, expectations for him, I think he can't have immediate impact. From what I've heard, he, he likes to shoot the lights out. And as we know with Villanova, shoot him up, sleep in the streets, there is always room for shooters. So see him having an immediate impact. I don't know what the transfer of Joe Cremo coming in, how that might take away or shape his minutes, because I'm sure that'll have some impact. But I do think Swider can contribute some minutes right away, whether it's off the bench or maybe an occasional start. I don't think he's going to start, though. But I do see him contributing in some facet next year. Yeah, for sure. He's top 35 recruit, according to ESPN. He's he's going to come in and he's going to have an impact. At least that's that's what I believe. I mean, right now I'd see Cremo starting over him. Uh, like As I said last episode, I think the prospective lineup is Quinterly, Booth, Cremo, Pascal, and then uh, Cosby Roundtree. So to answer that first part of that question, that's how I see it. But yeah, I, I think Swider will come in and do hey okay I, well i've heard all around that from you mainly just you um he seems to be a, a fine prospect and i think he'll do it uh come in and do wonderful as a freshman that's all the time we have for today thank you so much for listening to the post nba draft special of state of the nova nation we are now going to go back into hiatus mode it's been a while it's always fun whenever we come together and do this as always, please check back and check off and add for you hoops.com. We are going to have a lot of recruiting news. We've got the July live period coming up. So there's definitely going to be a lot of recruiting buzz, chatter, offers, interests, all that sorts of things coming up. We're also going to have post-draft coverage. So a few features I'm planning on dropping one later this week on Villanova's changing culture. Just hoping for an interview with Jay Wright. We'll see how that goes. But yeah, there's gonna definitely gonna be a lot of content. So check back, check often, follow View Hoops on social media at View Hoops, and that's good for Twitter and Instagram. Like our page on Facebook, and you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at Repay5. And you can follow me, Chris Stanziel, at the Stance Man on Twitter. Nova Nation, this is it. I think this is now officially the last basketball-related thing for the 2017-18 season. We will check back with you now in the fall when we'll be talking about preseason, opening day, football. It's going to be a good time. Enjoy your summer, and we will see you very, very soon.